of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. We're looking at verses 9 through 12. We'll focus in on more chapter, I mean, excuse me, verse 12, but let's read starting in verse 9 of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if one of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another one to lift him up. Furthermore, If two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. I have a newsflash for you, something I've been repeating for the last, well, since I've been here, I think, I've probably said this. We are a local body of believers in Jesus Christ. And we're known as the Forestburg Baptist Church. We are collectively the hands and feet of Christ. We are to reflect who Christ is in our lives. Now most of you know the answer to this question is a rhetorical question. Does the moon give off its own light or does it reflect the sun's light? The moon reflects, correct? And depending on the alignment between the sun and the moon, you may have a full moon, half moon, quarter moon, so on and so forth. But the moon has no light source of its own. We are the same thing. We are to reflect the light of Christ in and through us as we go out into the world. That source is Him. We are to let that shine as we minister to those in our community, in our state, in our country, and indeed around the world. And we do that as we grow in relationship with Christ and with each other. We should be getting closer to Christ each day, each year, as we grow. But also we are to grow with each other, grow in our relationships. And I've said this once and it bears repeating again. The average tenure of a Southern Baptist preacher is usually about 18 to 19 months. About a year and a half, maybe two. The point being, a lot of pastors, we don't stay long enough to build that tenure, to build that relationship up with the people. There's a life cycle in a pastor's life. Now, this is man-made, it's not true, it's not the gospel, but just making observations. The first two years is the honeymoon period. Everybody's happy. I haven't messed up yet. Haven't made anybody mad as of yet. Alright, third, fourth year, problems start creeping in. Not a big problem, but usually just a series of things. It could be a, a problem between the pastor and somebody else. It could be problems with the building or whatever's going on. It's always a series of little things. And if we're not careful as pastors, you let those things build up. And we say, you know what? I can't do this no more. And then we leave and go to another church, and guess what happens? The same thing over and over again. Most people that I read tell us we need to stay. Stay strong because it won't be till after your eighth or ninth year you start seeing fruit. You start building those relationships. People get to know you. You know the people. And by the way, can I just say this, but listen very carefully. Preaching is not just 
uh, oral skill. It's not just speaking out, uh, giving a motivational speak. Preaching is preaching because we're using the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is going out and convicting people of what the Word says. And that includes myself. Yes, I've been convicted by my own preaching. Either here or now or later on, my wife repeats it to me. But while you laugh and the same thing happens to you, all right? But one thing about being at a church long is you get to know each other. You become a more effective speaker because you know where people are. You know where they're living. And as you seek God out, it makes you a little more effective because you get to know the people and they get to know you. Knowing your audience is what I'm trying to say. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, this is what Paul says about the church or believers. Therefore, we are, here it comes, ambassadors for Christ. You know, as ambassadors, right? If President Trump was to call Brother Darrell and say, Brother, I want you to be ambassador to, uh, I don't know, let's say Australia. You like Australia? Maybe New Zealand. He's going to instruct you what to say to the heads of state in Australia. And when you speak to those people, you're going to represent all the power, financial power, physical power, everything the United States is, you represent. And when you speak, you're representing the President of the United States and the people of America, right? That's huge. So you'll make sure that you got the message right, lest you say something wrong and the President calls you up and goes, what are you doing? We are ambassadors of a kingdom, not of this world. We are ambassadors of the everlasting kingdom. When we speak to people about the gospel, when we speak to them about Jesus Christ, we are ambassadors. We represent everything. And we are to get our message from the king himself. See, the authority in the message is not me. The authority of the message is with the king. He's the one who originated the story. I'm just the messenger. But look what he says furthermore in that verse. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. Listen to this. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. We beg you to be reconciled to God through Christ. We beg. We, we should go out there with a mindset. We want to see people reconciled. We want to see people saved. So much so, there's nothing that we're not willing to do. Time, money is no issue. Because what we're dealing with is eternity. The church, we say the church, it's not just a group of friends and family within these four walls. It's everybody who's meeting this morning who are believers in Christ. That's the church at large. We have brothers and sisters right now in countries that are literally being put to death for their faith. You don't hear it reported much, but it is happening. One page of scripture, they're thrown in jail. Some places they write scripture on the, on the cells so they'll have something. The next person comes in, I'll have some scripture there. They memorize it. They read it. They let it. Sinking of the hearts. And it's downright troublesome. We have so many translations, so many Bible helps, but yet we don't seem to take the time to really learn it. Now I know that every one of you, listen to me this morning, has a personal story and experience with a church somewhere. 
Some you've had good experiences, life-giving experiences, but some have had a bad and painful experience. And for those who have experienced bad things with churches, I am sorry for that. I may not know each of your individual stories, your experiences, but I know one thing. How deep and wide is God's love for each one of you? And before I get mad and leave a church or get mad, we have to remember one thing, brothers and sisters. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you ever get in fight with your spouse? Remember your church. You ever get in fight with your kids? I know most of you, if not all of you, you would do anything for your wife or for your husband or for your kids, right? I mean, you would lay down your life if need be for your kids and for your spouse. But as great as that relationship is, it's still tainted by sin. So when we gather together, we try our best, we have the best intentions, but guess what? We're going to make each other mad from time to time. We're going to see the wrong thing. I do it almost on an ongoing basis. <laughs> Why did I say that? The worst time for me is usually on a Sunday afternoon or a Monday morning. I go back and I listen to myself. Oh, why did I say that? We're all a work in progress. And this COVID-19 has reminded us of how much we need each other. You ever heard the old cliche, you never know what you got until it's gone? Why is it a cliche? Because there's truth in that. We take so much for granted, and then we don't have it anymore. We miss it dearly. This social distancing ourselves has provided a powerful reminder of the value and importance of our need for connection. Have you, we went in lockdown, did you miss being around people? At first you might go, this is great, I don't have to deal with anybody, but as time wore on, we miss it. You know why? Because we're created that way. God is a relational being and he created us to have relationships. And when we don't have relationships, interaction with other human beings, it's hard for us. Why do you think in all of our prisons here in the United States, the worst thing that happened to you is they put you in solitary confinement? Because that's the worst place you can go. And by the way, there's laws on the books. They can only keep you there for so long because they've learned through the years people can go crazy in there if they don't have interaction with other human beings. And our passage we just read about is Ecclesiastes, one of the wisdom books. It can be difficult to read because Ecclesiastes is kind of, well, depressing. Have you ever read the book? I mean, you might be more familiar with Proverbs. We like all those nice little wisdom sayings. In fact, we like to quote them to each other sometimes, like, Fathers, don't, prov don't provoke your children under wrath. That was repeated to me a few times. But when you read Ecclesiastes and you basically read the book, he talks about how meaningless life is. It's narrated by the preacher, or sometimes in different translations, he's called the teacher. But as he's contemplating life, he says, all is vain, all is vanity, all is vanity, all is vanity. He comes to realize, 
And most people, by the way, credit Solomon for writing the book. He comes to realize one thing. Life is meaningless. It's all vanity if you do it apart from God. It loses all worth. It loses all meaning. It loses all purpose. And as we turn our attention to our text, specifically verse 12, you know, the verses before that tell us how wonderful it is to be together. You know, if you're walking along and someone tries to mug you or rob you and your friend or your spouse is there, you can defend yourself a lot easier two verses one than one verses two. A lot of common sense there, don't you agree? In verse 12, he says, a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. And that Hebrew word translated cord literally means a thread. So if you're going to translate it, you can literally say a cord of three strands. Or like the New King James puts it, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, a cord or a rope is made of fibers, threads, or perhaps other materials. And most of you have seen or perhaps even used a rope. Have you ever looked closely at the rope? It consists of several or many different strands braided together. There's a picture of one. Individually, each of those strands might hold a little bit of weight. But when they're woven together, their strength multiplies exponentially. You take one of those out of that thread right there, they can't pull very much. It may be able to pull its weight, but you put them together, you can do more with it. Let me just ask you a few rhetorical questions. If you want to answer, go right ahead. If you want to shout out the answer per se. Would you rather water ski behind a boat with a line of crash string, or would you prefer a braided nylon tie rope? You want to just show you a craft string out to hold on to? Would you rather have a nylon rope? Well, duh, we like to have a nylon rope. Not much contest. The string probably wouldn't get you out of the water. How about if you're a rock climbing up a thousand feet? Would you rather be attached to a line of yarn or to a climbing rope? These are like no duh questions, right? We want some strong rope holding us. Rope is an amazing tool, although we may not use it or see it every day. But in biblical days, it was revolutionary. Think about it. It goes back as far as human history. Think of all the things the ancient people could have done with rope. Rope meant you could catch or tie up an animal to keep it or to lead it, all of which would help you lead to food or survival. You could lift up heavy objects. It could enable you to build things, structures, homes. Perhaps the Egyptians even used rope in building of the pyramids. Ropes meant that you could move or carry something. It could help you cross a river or a chasm. It could help you with food or supplies. In fact, it was essential for sailing. And let's not forget, in biblical times, sailing was a revolutionary tool of, of transportation. Rope was a, both a convenience and a lifesaver. Now, rope has always been made by twisting or weaving multiple strands or fibers together to make it stronger than one strand alone. Back in the ancient days, people wove grasses, reeds, and bark. As time passed, people learned how to use fibers from plants. But the point being that I'm making time and time again, weaving it together multiplies its strength into one more powerful rope 
And as you, if you could pull that rope apart, like I said earlier, you can see all the different strands. There's more pictures of rope on there. It should be the next one. There you go. See how all these ropes, you can see it. In fact, this one here on the bottom, on your bottom right, looks like three strands. But even each of those three strands, if you look closely enough, even those strands are woven together by another three pieces. So like three pieces woven together, and they're all woven together, and they, they form that big heavy rope there on your left. It's all a bunch of material weaved together and weaved together and weaved together. Gives it strength. Be able to do a lot of things with it. Here's the point I'm trying to make. You and I are sort of like that rope. Individually, we can do some things, but not a lot of things. But when we come together, specifically with Christ being in the middle, and we're woven around Christ and Christ weaves around us, we around each other, it makes us stronger together is the point. We are much stronger than anything else the world has to offer. In fact, a body of Christ should be so close that nothing can tear us apart. Does it mean we don't have any problems? Yes, we have problems. But what binds us together, the primary person, is Christ. And that bond is more powerful than anything else in this world can offer. Some of the best relationships I have is with my brothers in Christ. Sometimes even more stronger than with my immediate family. There's one guy who lives up around Bellevue I've known ever since I gave my life to Christ. He's saw me go through all that and turning my life to ministry and seminary. But I know that I could call him no matter what I've done, and he would do everything possible for me. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. If I was to do something totally stupid and get drunk and get drunk driving, let's say I get thrown in jail, I know I could call him. He'd get me out, bail me out. But you better believe the next day he'd be coming to me, Tim, what is going on? That's one thing about, I like Facebook and all that, but how, you have so many people that you know. Of all your friends, who can you really count on to come through for you and for your family? Number one, Christ will never let you down. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should all feel comfortable enough. And as we continue to grow in our relationship here together, that we know we can call each other at any point in time and we'll be there no matter what. And we talk about being stronger together. We have to talk about being stronger in Christ. Jesus is not only our source of strength. He is our strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Or literally, I can do all things in him. It's interesting to go back in Philippians and look at that verse in context. He's talking about finding contentment in all circumstances. Whether he was living in plenty or in want, he was painting a bigger picture. He was describing a reliance and sufficiency in Christ instead of himself. Paul knew by himself he couldn't do it, but Jesus would give him the strength to press on. Paul understood that Christ was his life, and he understood the truth that Jesus taught his disciples in that beautiful word picture found in John 
chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. This is Christ speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, so neither you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus, the master teacher, would just look around him for illustrations. And the text doesn't tell us, but I imagine him walking by these vineyards. Ever seen a picture of the Mediterranean coast, all those big grapevines and have all these big, huge grapes and those vineyards growing? But without the vine, the branches cannot do their part. It's the vine that's the main stalk or trunk of the plants. It is the vine that's planted in the soil that sends out roots to draw water and nutrients from the soil. Now, wine experts talk about flavors and characteristics of particular grapes that comes from a specific location, a soil of a vineyard's location. And they pay attention to that and what year the wine was made because different factors affect each year's harvest. The moisture in the soil, the sunlight, the storms, the dryness, and the heat, and the cold, and so on. All those are transferred from the vine into the branch. The branches are solely dependent on that vine for everything they need. If they don't have that in the, into the vine, they can't produce. In fact, if they're detached, they, of course, they will die. The vine influences everything about the grape. It's the life source. And, of course, if you cut them out, cut them off, excuse me, they're dead. They shrivel up because they have no life source. Their strength and vitality are the vine. This is why Jesus is reminding his disciples and reminding us, just like that vine and the branches, he says, I am the vine. I'm your source of strength and fertility. Everything that you do is because of me. You can do nothing apart from me. Everything that you need is in me. So abide in me and I will abide in you or I will dwell in you. See, as believers, what happened at the point when you confessed and you repented of your sins? What happened? At that moment of conversion, somebody took residence up in you. And that's the Holy Spirit. See, the question is not how I get more of the Holy Spirit. The question always becomes how does the Holy Spirit get more control over my life. See, we, we like to give them little areas of our life, don't we? Well, I'll tell you what, you can have Sunday mornings on the hour, and you can do this, but God, this over here, this is, this is mine. I don't give that up yet. You know, Peter did that. <laughs> now, this is just, just my own take on this, my own opinion, but do you remember the story when he was out fishing? Peter was a professional fisherman. He had fished on the Lake of Galilee since he was a little boy. He knew everything there was about fishing. The tides, when it was right to fish, when it was wrong. I mean, he knew everything. And they're out there fishing one day, and they couldn't catch anything. That's a long day to go fishing, okay? You've been fishing, not catching things. You're ready to go and have a little with this. They didn't have the luxury of McDonald's and Walmart back then. They had to, you know, what they caught is what they eat. And Jesus says, won't you throw the net on the other side of the boat? 
Now, the text doesn't say Peter said anything like this, but I wonder if Peter thought, now, look, Jesus, you're a good teacher and all that, but I've been fishing my entire life, and I'm telling you right now, we won't catch nothing on the side of the boat. Peter was human like the rest of us. And don't we have that same conversation with God sometimes? Well, God, I know you're Lord and Lord and King of Kings, but you know what? I know what I'm doing. I've done this a hundred times, God. I'm, I'm going to try it this way because I know we're basically telling God we know better. But Peter does go, okay, since you said, I'll throw it over, and he does. And what happens? There's so much fish in that net they can barely pick it up out of the water. In fact, the boat starts leaning into the water so heavy. And Peter makes a response. He falls down and says, depart from me. He realizes who Christ is, that holiness. You know, the holiness of God attracts us, but yet makes us want to run away. We, we, we want that. We, we have a need for it. But when we, when we get right in his presence, his holiness, it also scares us. It makes us frightened because we realize we're in the presence of a holy and perfect God. You ever done that with God? God tells you to do something. Hey, God, I, I don't know, but, you know, this area of my life, I've been doing this this way. And I know you have control of my eternal destiny, God, but I'm going to do this way. And, and what we do the same thing, right? And what's the textbook definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So there I am. Okay, God. I've been preaching for a while. Well, I want you to do this. Well, God, I understand that, but, you know, I got this thing kind of down. People like what I have to say. Well, Tim, I, you know, I'm telling you what you need to say. No, God, I, so I'll do it. And there have been some of the worst preaching I've ever done in my life. It just goes, and you walk out, and I realize if I would just let God have control, everything would have been much better. There's another example of that. I went to a, a really small church up the other side of Wichita Falls called K-May, K-A-Y-M-A-W. And they're looking for a pastor. I even realized I just renewed the ministry, hadn't public speak that very much of all. I was really scared. And I was so concerned. What does God cause me this church? I'll have to quit my job. What tell me I going to do for money? I had everything in my mind except what I was supposed to be doing in that moment. You think I'm no good now. You should hear me back then. Tammy said it was so bad she wished the ground would open up and swallow her. Nothing made sense. I was reaching and grabbing. There was no coherent. Nothing. I mean, even the text, I couldn't even hardly read it. I learned a valuable lesson that day. If I would just stay focused on preaching my heart out for God, stay true to the text, have confidence in God and His Holy Spirit, everything would have worked out so much better. And if God had called me there, so be it. He worked out the details. But sometimes we get so wrapped up if this happens or that happens. No, stay focused in that moment. Like on Wednesday nights, we have an opportunity to, to touch young lives. Don't be so concerned about everything else. Now, of course, there's a fire or something. Yes, okay, but I'm saying stay focused in that moment. Seize that moment. Look those kids in the eye. Show them the, the love of Christ. He'll work all the details out. He just wants us to be faithful to him. We're stronger in Christ. We're stronger in weakness. Now, that sounds almost like an oxymoron. When we're weak, we're strong. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes about a problem he's having. Some ongoing trial, we don't know what it is. People have speculated. 
But it was some type of weakness that he was having, and he was praying to God, take this away. And all of us have things in our lives, don't we? These, this, God, just take care of this, please. It was a nagging pain that wouldn't go away. You ever have, you have something in your life even now that you're asking God, God, please, just take this away. Just work in this situation. Paul learned a valuable lesson in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and following. He says, concerning this, this problem that he's having, I implore the Lord three times that it may leave me. So he, he's telling us how to pray about this thing at least three times. And listen to the response. He says, God gave him. He said, he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. When we're at our weakest, God is the strongest in our lives. You hear people all the time say, well, God will not give you any more than you can bear. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think a lot of times he let a lot of things come in my life because it drives me to my knees. When I'm on my knees, I'm not so self-reliant. I realize I am weak and I need him. In fact, I should be that way in everything in my life. Paul goes on to say, Most gladly, therefore, I rather boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For I am weak, then I am strong. And that's the paradox of the Christian life. A revolutionary way of living and looking at life. Knowing that there's nothing we can do but rely on him and turn complete control over to him. So we can try and make changes in our lives. Only God can truly make that difference. And we finally let go and say, God, I'm weak. I desperately need you. You do. Tell me what I need to do. I'll do exactly. God, please. When a church stops relying on financial giving programs and all these other things, I'm not saying we throw all caution in the wind. I'm talking about just saying, you know what? God called us to this. He will sustain us through it, and he will see us through. It's like the book of class. He says that life is meaningless without God. Jesus says, I've got this. Abide in me. Live in me. You're weak. It's okay because I'm strong. Your weakness gives me more room for my strength to shine. It's about that rope again, isn't it? You can have the, the strongest rope up here, and we can pull on it, look at it, but it doesn't quite meet the test until you put it to its use. It's not until you're hanging from a cliff a thousand feet in the air that you find out if that rope is really strong enough. Because when life squeezes us, that's when we find out and let me tell you, I've been in some circumstances, and I know in my future, when life has squeezed me and compressed me, and everything in me told me to give up. But I hang on, because I know Christ wouldn't let me down. He would sustain me. Now, he may not care to the situation like I wanted him to, but he's always been there. He's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And at times, I know he's carried me. Lastly, we are stronger together. 
Together is where Christ magnifies his strength expositionally. As he lives out his love as the body of Christ, each of us is a single part woven together like a rope. Woven together into a much stronger unit to support each other, to function as the hands and feet of Christ on earth. Romans 12 speaks to this in, in verse 4 of Romans 12. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. There's a handout there in the back talking about spiritual gifts. We are to exercise our gifts in the building up the body. We are to edify, to build up one another. It's like the billows. You know what billows are? Those big things that you blow on a, a flame, and as a, the embers start to glow, we are to take that and we are to blow on it, stir that fire within ourselves. You ever, this happened to me. Sometimes I come here and I'm just burnt out, I'm depressed, I'm... But after spending time with God's people and God himself, I may still be hurting, but I know God got me covered. I get some encouragement because I know I'm not walking alone. You ever watch TV? You ever watch the news? It may seem like we're all alone in this, doesn't it? You want to see what's going on. We have each other. We have the Lord. And we also have other Believers that are walking this path with us. We are relational beings. Look at the way the early church worked it. They were risking their lives to follow Jesus and live like him. They took care of each other in every way. They pulled together to make sure the basic needs of each other were met. They used their skills and abilities and resources to accomplish the work. The work that Jesus has given them in spreading his love to the world. In many ways, they're like a ragtag group of individuals. When you look at some of the early church members, look at the disciples. They weren't educated. Didn't have a lot. But from the world standpoint, what could these people do? But think about this. We have heard the gospel because of them. They went out. And they proclaimed what they saw. Even to the point they were put to death, none of them changed their story. They said we can't lie about what we've seen and what we heard. And that message has been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. You know, I stand here, and I'm humbled to know I stand on the soldiers of giants who have blazed the trail before me, who have been faithful to that message. You know, you look at the media today, Facebook, is used by a million peoples around the world. And it's been a great tool, and we continue to use it. It's not replacing human interaction. I think it helps reinforce the fact that we need to be face-to-face. And if we've learned anything over these past few months, we've learned that connection and relationship are not a luxury for us. We need them. Because it's been hardwired into us by our creator himself. A reflection of his very nature. And as our God calls us into relationship with himself, he calls us into relationship and community with each other. 
as we join together to find our place in the body of Christ, we find our true place, we experience acceptance and belonging. doesn't mean we're perfect, we're far from it, but we're the family of God. Even the healthiest families have a bit of their own dysfunction. We're sinners, saved by grace through faith. Despite our best intentions, we hurt each other, we bicker, disagree, wrong each other. However, this is my prayer as we continue to move on together. It's my prayer, my open intent that we are a body that lives like Jesus, receiving and giving grace, that treats each other with humility, apologizes and seeks forgiveness when we wrong each other, and openly loves, serves each other in the world around us. And when we come together like that, we experience the power of God's Spirit within us, and we become stronger together. Let me conclude this up by saying we have been living through and continue to live through some of the most trying times in recent history. If nothing else, COVID-19 has exposed our weaknesses and vulnerabilities, along with our need for each other. And as we join the cord of our life with the cords of weakness and the cords of others around us, and we let Jesus weave those strings together, he creates a much more powerful rope. He makes us stronger. So let's continue pursuing togetherness in God's love. Let us lean together with deeper relationships and support each other. That means we must take the next step in coming on more of a regular basis for worshiping and joining in Bible study and on Sunday mornings, maybe coming on Wednesdays to blast, maybe coming more involved in our youth ministry. There is a place for everybody here at Forestburg Baptist Church. Because you know what? It's not about me. It's not about the deacons. It's all about Christ. Any success that we have, I have, all gets credited to Christ. How can I? Some of you have asked me. I hope I'll get through this. How can you minister at a funeral? I mean, one of the most heart-wrenching things we go through is when someone goes on to be home with the Lord. Or worse yet, we don't know if the person saved. We don't know. How, how, how do you do that, Tim? Well, it's not me. It's God that gives me the strength to do that. God will never call you to do something without empowering you to do it. Here it comes again. He doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Make no mistake about it. When we weave that three-strand code, our lives with each other and Christ in the middle, we become stronger together. And can I just say this very quickly? 